Welcome to the Young Adult Podcast and thank you for joining us for another episode. We hope you enjoy it and that you learn something of value that can be taken into your everyday life. Please give us a five-star review and any feedback send to ya at championschurch.org.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Young Adult Podcast. I am here with Sean Devonport who has actually been on the podcast before. Um, hello Sean, how are you? Hi Ashley, how are you? Oh, look at that cheeky grin. I'm very good mate, thank you. How are you? Yeah, brilliant, thank you. Good man. Good. How, how's your day been? Not bad. Been uh, on, a, on a course this afternoon, so I uh, felt like I lost half of my day, but it's good. All, all good development stuff. If anyone at Starbucks is listening to this, please just feed it back that four hours behind the laptop. On a training course is way too long for surely, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, so welcome back. Um, we're here today to talk about um, an addiction, um, and I suppose a certain addiction which uh, Sean had, which was uh, gambling. Um, it's a bit ironic and iconic, um, as he does smile at me now, um, that the last time Sean was on the podcast we discussed budgeting. Um, so it's quite a testament to what we're going to talk about now and kind of Sean's journey to where he got to on that budgeting in terms of um, that was actually before you were married. We discussed that, didn't we? Yeah, it was before we were married. So, uh, yeah, I think I'd moved into the house at that point, but I definitely yes. weren't married by that point. So, uh, was on, on the build up to that. Come on. Congratulations on both accounts. It feels a long time ago now. <laughs> Don't read anything into that, but it does seem like it was a long time ago now. That'll test if Emily's actually uh, tuning into these podcasts. Cool. So, um, addiction, um, and especially on this uh, podcast around um, gambling addiction. So, Sean, do you want to set the scene in terms of before we go into the deeper stuff? So, just where you were in your life in terms of like age, what you were up to, and potentially then how you got involved into uh, gambling as such. Yeah, so I would say that it probably started in my early to mid twenties. Um, I probably, I wouldn't say that I ever before that particularly gambled much. I would say that it happened quite quickly in terms of it gathering pace. Um, but yeah, I think I was definitely early to mid-twenties and it probably over three or four bouts lasted until um, my, my mid-twenties, late-twenties. So it probably lasted for about four years on and off. Uh, probably spiked and read its head around three times I would imagine um but in terms of how I got into it I guess there was probably a couple of things I would there was somebody that I was just fairly loosely connected with it wasn't even a good friend who just got started talking to me about the fact that they were gambling and they were winning quite a lot of money and they were using uh, tennis betting markets at the time mm -hmm. so definitely that was definitely a routine and then I would also just say that I think the other times that it reared its head probably being part of football teams and dressing rooms where gambling was topic of conversation before a game what actors have you put on what what bets have you got on today etc etc uh, it was just part and parcel um, so do you think it's just part of like general conversation within that environment a little bit and i mean even when you weren't involved in it you could hear it and whatsapp groups people would be posting like bets where they've nearly won or they've won and or they've lost like a silly amount of money so i think you know whatsapp groups and even on the telly you know, every advertisement in between football games is a lot of gambling, uh, gambling references. So uh, I think there was probably over the 
course of time where I got quite involved in it, there were probably multiple routes that suckered me in. Uh, but the first one was just a conversation with somebody really about winning a bit of money and how they were doing it, and it just went from there, really. So I suppose that was at 20, you said, like, kind of you got involved in terms of, I suppose, participating in it. Mm -hmm. So just before that, I suppose, like, you've always been involved in football, haven't you? Mm -hmm. um, playing at a very high level. Unfortunately, he's a Wolves fan, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, so you've, I kind of want to say you've been exposed to that broad environment for a long time. And then I suppose when you get in a bit more... Streetwise, in terms of like 16, 17, you become more aware, like you're earning your own finances potentially. What changed, I suppose, from that kind of 18 to then actually go in? Mm, no, sorry, not 18, 20 to then actually go in. I'm gonna put some money on the line now. It's a good question, and I think there's probably a few things going on. So I'm quite competitive. And I would say, I definitely wouldn't say it would be wrong to say at times I've got a little bit of an ego. And I think there's definitely an element of I didn't like losing. Okay. So I think the times where I lost money, I would constantly be thinking how I can win it back and be almost thinking this isn't going to beat me, etc. Mm -hmm. um, so there was definitely an element of that. I would also just say that and probably the biggest thing reflecting on it now is, and this is probably why I think that it's good to talk about this now versus probably 15, 20 years ago, is it's just that how accessible it is. Yeah. So there's tens of betting companies now that are making a lot of money. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a click of a button. It almost feels in one sense like you're not, using your money because okay. you're putting like the bets on and yep. you're not physically handing over the cash like you would okay. need to as people would previously have gone into the bookies so I've never I think I've been into a bookies like twice in my life okay. and given that I had a gambling addiction that's, that's quite a big uh, big um, but I would say very similar to, to, to things like porn like you would have had to have previously have walked into a news agent reached up to the top shelf and walked Cut, up to yeah. the counter with it like obviously again it's very accessible now these yeah. days so yeah. I think that that was definitely quite a big thing as well as uh, once I realised how accessible it was mm -hmm. it was quite easy for me to to get lured in and, and although there's bits and pieces in place to help you put limits on they're also quite easily removed within 24 hours so things like deposit limits and all the stuff that you can put in place in terms of like daily amounts, monthly amounts, weekly amounts, etc., that can all be removed within 24 hours. So okay. I think, and in, even when you like block yourself from certain gambling sites, you can still find another one quite easily um, if you haven't like removed yourself from all of them. So I think that there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in that space that makes it quite easy to uh, to get hooked into it. Okay. What was your first bet? It would have been a remember. tennis bet, and I'm pretty sure there was two tennis players that I used to bet on quite a bit in the first few weeks of getting into it, and it yeah. was Maria Sharapova <laughs> and uh, Kivitova, I think uh, is how you pronounce it. Um, and I'd basically just lump some money on them winning their serve. Okay. And there were always fairly decent odds in women's tennis to like okay. for somebody to win their own serve. Yeah. So uh, how did you know that? So that was just through a conversation with somebody that was already doing it. And okay. and, and the, the the crazy thing is, is within the first week, I think I was about eight or nine grand up. Wow. So I was thinking... I can what quit. stake did you put on to get to that? Level? So I'd probably say at that point, I was probably putting on around £100 a bet. Okay. 
I kind of want to say not huge amounts to get to the nine grand up in a week. No, and that, that was the thing, because I kept winning, it made yeah. it easier for me to start putting more on. Okay, and yeah. so there was that initial amount. I mean, before that, I'd definitely been betting £5, £10 on football lackers and things like that. And ultimately, yeah. if I'd have killed it then when it was quite small, mm-hmm. I would not have got to where I got to with it. But yeah, yeah I wouldn't nearly nine grand inside a week. And wow. I was genuinely thinking, oh, I can quit my job here and I ain't oh, going to wow. have to like, work and because I found like a loophole just to make money so quickly. And yeah. um, But two weeks later, that had gone and more. Um, and it was definitely that chasing element yeah. that was was part of the problem. Okay. So end, end of week one, you're eight, nine grand up. How are you feeling? Obviously good, but are you feeling in control? <sighs> I'd say I was definitely feeling in control at that point because I hadn't really lost much money. Mm -hmm. I think that was definitely when I started to feel like I'd lost control. But uh, yeah, I was just feeling... I couldn't believe how easy it was in that first week. Like I was genuinely just... You're quitting your job at this stage. I know. One week in. Although although there was like obviously some bets within that that I would have lost, the large majority that I was putting on were were winners. So it was all feeling rather easy at that point. At that point and then what? So I guess that on the first on the first time, I would say that within probably another six weeks later after losing that initial money that I'd won, I'd found myself in quite a bad place in terms of I was down to my overdraft and I'd probably lost about I'd probably lost about three or four thousand pounds at that point on top of what I'd already won. So that was just a lot lost three or four thousand pounds. Flipping it. So that nine grand that you were up had gone plus another and then another four from your own back pocket but that I mean it sounds insane to say this but that was that was nothing compared to the other couple of times where it got quite bad so you're building up the story here I like this this is good for the podcast yeah so the second (laughs) um, yes some suspense Uh, the second um, the the second time I got quite hooked onto basketball betting okay do you watch basketball I didn't, but okay. I did at that point. Okay, so yeah. it was always NBA as well. So it was through the night. So I wasn't sleeping some night. So I was literally just like staying up all night. That was when it was really bad. Okay. So but I would literally not wake. I would not go to sleep, and I would literally be betting through the whole night. And this is during that like second phase of yeah. The second okay. phase is where it really escalated. Okay. And talk to us about that. So, I mean. I'm talking like eight hundred, nine hundred pound a bet. Flipping heck. So some, and that's literally just on a team to get a certain amount of points in a quarter. Oh and when, and when, and once I was chasing, I wasn't just putting like one team on to get a certain amount of points. I was putting two or three. So to like increase, yeah, to then, increase yeah. the winning opportunity, but yeah. obviously the chances Your of winning. Odds are lower. It, yeah. So that was, yeah. I, I remember one Christmas Day and Boxing Day one year where. There was still some NBA on, and but it wasn't just NBA at that point. I was betting on all kinds of basketball: Chinese basketball, Spanish basketball, European basketball, but basketball. And it, sorry, at this point as well. So, are you watching all these games, or are you just because it's a game with a certain odd that you're just going, oh, I can recoup some on that because the odds are? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have a clue what I was doing at that point. I know it's even with the tennis to to an extent. I didn't really understand tennis that much, so I was basically okay. just trying to find something. I wasn't doing any research. I was just looking at some odds and thinking, I'm going to stick some money on that. Wow. Okay. Um, 
And I think at that point it had definitely become like, a, well, it had already become an addiction. Uh, there's no doubt about that after the first bout. But at this point, I was hooked. Mm. I was doing it at all times of the day. I, I would be doing it every single day. I wasn't sleeping, like I said. So I would say that at that point it consumed me. Okay. And, and at this point, so if we just pause on this point in terms of, forget the financials of how much you're putting down on a bet which is a lot of money per bet, plus loads of bets on him or something that you don't really know about. Mm-hmm. What's that doing to your life outside of the app and betting? So work life, personal relationship? I think it's hard for it not to have been affected, but then interestingly, I don't think people around me really knew what was going on. So I okay. guess to an extent, I must have done a good job of hiding it. But I think in terms of my own, like, headspace definitely wasn't in a great place because you're not sleeping like Mm -hmm. it's all you're thinking about so you know I I have no doubt that things like work and other commitments would have been affected because naturally my headspace wasn't right so deprived state exactly so but but in fairness it didn't I would still be at work I'd still be doing my hours I'd still be doing my long hours I'd still be turning up to all of the commitments outside of work and at church etc but I would have normally been so it didn't distract me to that point but I did one thing I did find and this probably is definitely part and parcel of it my relationships with people weren't great so I would say that I allowed myself to spiral in other areas of my life because I was in a bad place in that part of my life so there was friendships there was there was relationships, there was all kind of stuff that I would say were affected. My mm-hmm. relationship with my parents at the time, I would say it was not as healthy because my headspace just wasn't right. So I would say there was definitely an impact on on those relationships. I remember there was some nights where, uh, the one bit that I'd say did impact is, so if I was supposed to be out with friends or something, yeah. I'd either not go because I'd be like gambling or if I was, right. I'd be there and I'd have my phone out and but there, but not there. would be doing, I would be betting as, as we went along. So... I think I think it's fair to say that it did affect other things, but not interestingly not to the point where people were questioning me what was going on, etc. Did anyone know at the time? So I'm assuming you're I'm gonna put them in a group, gambling friends or like the people who were kind of like happily to put some bets on. They might have known, but did they know to the extent is I suppose the first question. There was a few of my close friends that would have known because I, I would say that I didn't I weren't trying to hide it as such so I would say that because of again like that little bit of an ego thing like I would be like almost not like gloating about it but especially when I was winning big amounts like I'd be quite keen to tell some people so there would definitely have been some people around me that were telling me to pack it in and were trying to encourage me away from it Mm um so there was definitely some people that knew. I did front up to my mum and dad quite quickly, uh, okay. just to try, because obviously I was living with my parents at that point, so just in terms of like an accountability thing. But I didn't really feel like I could, I didn't really feel like I could make myself accountable to anybody at church because there was like a real shame element attached to it. So. Okay. I didn't like tell any of my leaders and, and look, I, I, ref, I reflect on this all the time now. I, I I probably perceived and felt like I couldn't go to anybody because I was worried about what they would say. But yeah. I think reality is, is I could have done. Okay. But 
I I chose not to be out of like being embarrassed. Yeah. Essentially, and- because at that point I would have been like I wasn't like. I wasn't like leading stuff as such, but I definitely would have been playing a like a fairly prominent role in church, and I think there was just an embarrassment that I should have it all together, and yeah. and I didn't. So I didn't feel like I could be vulnerable enough to say that I was struggling in that space, and mm-hmm. and also, and I think this one's definitely fair to say is I'd never hear like gambling spoken about in a church setting. Like I, it's very rare I've heard it spoken about even to this day. Yeah, like in I hear. Church setting. Yeah, so I hear things like porn and drugs and drink addictions like quite often, and yeah. I think it's because they're quite commonly talked about in church. But I, I think from a gambling perspective, I don't think it's spoken about much. So I almost feel like that made me feel like I couldn't talk about it. But now that I'm pretty open and people know what I struggled with, it's amazing. Like some of the people that come up to you and say that they're struggling with it okay. in and outside of church. So yeah. um, I think it's a much bigger deal among men of that age group because mm-hmm. it's just so accessible and That's it's what all their it. friends are doing and it's what people in their friendship circles and whatever circles they're involved in will be doing. It's quite a big deal. So you've got to a point of high stakes relationships are potentially getting a bit fractured but you're doing an okay job and a decent job of kind of covering it up to I suppose the masses what does like the the third phase of this gambling addiction what does that look like for you well the third phase was just getting involved with football so and I guess by this point that's probably more of an area that I do know what I'm on about because I'm like watch a lot of football Apparently. But straight away, yeah, apparently. <laughs> but straight away, I got drawn into like betting on things that I did have no clue about again. So it so wouldn't be enough principle. just sticking a betting on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon when the Premier League's on or Football League. I'd be betting on, you know, the jokes around like Moldovan under-17s football. Like I definitely would have done that at some point because wow. I was just trying to find everything and anything. Like I couldn't wait until like nine ten o'clock in the morning when like the Chinese and Australian and Japanese football leagues would be kicking off because it was something to something to bet on. So was it something to bet on or something to get your money back? So was it more about winning money or was it recouping losses? Because I'm assuming at this point you're quite a bit down. I often battle with this in my mind because I don't actually know the answer to that still. Okay. Because I don't think it was ever about the money in one sense because mm. I had a decent job. That's why I was able to like probably bet stupid amounts of money. So I don't think I needed money. I think I genuinely think it was linked into my ego and just wanting something to do. It was like the excitement that was attached to it. That mm. thrill of like putting the like what you know, watching the game as it's happening, waiting for the notification to pop up, yeah. um, waiting for that last one out of six to come in. I genuinely think it was the thrill and like the yeah, just the adrenaline that rush that would be attached to putting each bet on, and especially when you're talking about like big bets, yeah, like yeah. eight, nine hundred pound a time to win how much to win probably. Roughly evens ish. That's probably what most of the bets would have been like. Okay. I don't think it was ever about the money. I think it was about the thrill of doing something that gave me a thrill. Of oh, well, I've got a question now to ask you, which might process in your head to give you a bit of clarity. If you got ten grand up, would you withdraw it and spend it, no. or would you put it back in a bet? I just put it back on the bet. 
but then I think there's your answer. Yeah. So, and and that's a thing. Whenever, and, and even if I would occasionally. So, especially when it first started on all three occasions, mm. I probably at that point had the intention of taking it out and would put it into my bank account. Okay. But then I would straight away, within a day or two, have it back in because I'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter. I've won that. Okay. Yeah. And there was one. There was one instance where I was. I was on holiday and basically there was a lad who he obviously had some inside information on uh, dogs racing. Okay. So he basically jumps from one person's account to another and basically you you let him use your account and you get access to, to his bets. Okay. So this one Sunday afternoon, um, he probably had my account for about seven or eight days, and he hadn't won much at all. In fact, I think he was slightly down. And he put these uh, bets on one afternoon. So we had like a, a Yankee, couple of trickses, couple of doubles, couple of singles, and I kid you not, every single one of them come in. Wow. Every single one of them come in. So that afternoon, yeah, I'd yeah. like copied the bet. Okay. And he'd gone quite big on his stakes because he obviously knew what he was doing. Yeah. I think we took forty thousand pounds out that afternoon oh between my us. Gosh. Now most of that was his because I hadn't gone anywhere near the stakes that he had. Okay, yeah. Um and so I think I'd probably won about seven or eight grand that day. Flipping it. And it had gone again a week later. Literally highs and lows. Yeah. Okay, why? Wow. Eight grand up. But then like you say, you have whether you think about it or not, you have no intention of going, oh, now I can buy myself, I don't know, a nice watch, or it goes towards a house deposit, it goes towards, well, actually, now I can get that thrill again, but maybe even more of a Even bigger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I would say the answer to the question would be, and I think that, I think that you look at a lot of sin, that, so, for instance, drinking, drugs, Yeah. I'm not so sure when people are doing it, or after it, that they particularly feel that fulfilled, but in the moment they do, and it's the thrill of doing something wrong. Okay. I think with so much sin, you know, whether it be like sexual sin or anything, yeah, I don't think you particularly feel great about it afterwards ever. Okay, yeah. And I think it's because it's all about in that moment, just getting that thrill. I think it's more about an emotion that you feel in the moment than it is actually the act of what you're doing. That's good. Okay. And I think it's all linked into filling a gap or filling an insecurity or just filling something that needs filling and you find something to fill it but afterwards and before it I don't think there's many people who are, who are addicted that feel particularly great but in that moment it's like a release yeah. from everything else that's going on around them wow if we can clip that little bit that's just going to be on repeat like on Instagram and everything like that was really good that was really really good mm. what was the uh, most amount of money that you were down I remember that Boxing Day that I was referencing earlier. I think yeah. I lost about ten grand in a day, easily. So I had to take a couple of loans out to help me out at times. A couple of friends who helped me out at times. So did they know where the money was going? Yeah, the people that I was at. I'm, like I said, I made myself accountable to my family, and I think at that point I'd probably made myself accountable to a few friends, but was just still struggling to get on top of it. So yeah, um, they. We live now, but I, what what I would say is, is every time I got to a point where I'd hit my overdraft limit, I would stop. Okay. So although there was a couple of times I had to just take a bit of money out in terms of loans, just to help me through. I never like once I'd like got a loan, let's say for instance, I never started betting that money. I always knew that was the point where I needed to stop, 
And okay. after that third time, it got to a point where I needed to decide whether I was serious about stopping or not. Okay. Was that a conversation that you like had with yourself and you just got to a point, or was you prompted? It was myself, I think, in the main. There was a few people around me who were uh, had been encouraging me to to try and get some help, but I don't think that was ever the answer. And I, I don't think it's... Um, in, in my instance, I had to physically just block myself from all those betting apps. Yeah. So that would involve making a phone call and ringing and saying, I need my account to be blocked for good. Wow. And... Uh, one thing I will say, in fairness to the betting companies, is it's very hard to then try and get them back open because it's linked into like your all of your information. Then, if you it's try and like... start something up, even with a different email address, a different phone number, it will know. stop you. So I knew that that was the only way that I would stop was okay. by the, the five or six big betting companies. Is I cannot get near them. Okay, and that was the choice that I had to make because I just felt like if I kept allowing myself a route back in. Mm-hmm. I could be great for 364 days of the year, but if one day I was struggling and I wanted to get back in, yeah. I could. Okay. And that's what happened after those first two times. Mm-hmm. So it literally got to a point where I had to make a decision to say enough is enough. And I literally had to ring and block myself on all of them. Wow. And did you make all those phone calls yourself? There was, I think there was one instance where one of my friends was with me, um, but I think all the others, I just did it by myself. So, yeah, I think apart from the one instance, I think somebody was in the car with me. I don't, I don't think anyone else was there at any point. Right. And then what's that emotion or what's that feeling? Because obviously you go from something, like you say, where it's a feeling of like um, a thrill, you know, you're addicted to that, however long the game is, to then find out if you won or lost and, you know, the... Um, Adrenaline is getting higher and higher. Um, what's that feeling like when you, you've made that final call to that final betting company to say, you know, block me? I think it was then all about finding some purpose elsewhere. Because again, okay. I think it was linked when I was talking about like that excitement filling the gap. I do think it's linked into purpose. So I know the last time that I that I came away from it, I, I got quite involved with a few things at church on the back of it, and just got a lot more plugged in I was a lot more involved with certain things and ultimately I think it was getting to a place where I was finding my purpose in a good place versus finding my purpose in a place where it shouldn't have been so okay. I think that what I, there was definitely when I blocked myself from those things an element of what now mm-hmm. like this was consuming me like day and night. So what do I do now? But I think it was about finding some good things and some good people to to invest my time and energy in. And yeah, I, I'd I'd say that I just found some good things to be involved in. And after that last bout, luckily enough, I've never looked back. And and I've had to do some things since then. So like Emily's very aware. She's because there's one particular betting account that the uh, uh, the maximum amount of time you could put on to ban yourself was five years. So we've like got it in our calendars so that she knows wow. that I can like block myself again. When that so, five years is up. Yeah, so I think now I've very much learned that the best way to avoid it is just to make myself accountable yeah. um, to Emily and so that it doesn't happen again. So, Well done. Mm-hmm. Good man. And uh, now you've got your own house, which mm-hmm. you had on the budgeting app. Uh, budgeting app budgeting uh, podcast 
happily married. He did wink. I'm joking. Um, what does the future look like in terms of, um, I suppose, helping others? Or, or what advice would you give to others via this podcast? I think the biggest lie that you tell yourself with something like this is that you're in it alone and it's only you struggling with it. Okay. And I think what I've definitely learned is is there are tens of people struggling with it. Do you think that's different because you might look at that in a church setting? A little bit, but I even think there's people... I think whatever battle you're facing, even if you're sat in a church building, I still think there'll be other people in the room that are sharing that battle with you, but you just won't necessarily know because people hide it, they mask it, they try their best to make sure that people don't know about it. But whether it's inside or outside of church no matter what addiction you're facing into there will be lots of other people that are going through the same and there'll be people who are just going through that journey there'll be people who are knee deep into it and there'll be people who've recovered from it so it's just around it's around finding people who you can talk to be vulnerable with and just be accountable to and just be able to admit what's not going so well yeah yeah good good man do you think there's anything left unsaid about this that's on your heart or in your head that you want to deliver on this podcast aka the poddy I think there's there's loads you could talk about it down night but I think the one the one thing that I would ask everybody to think about no matter what you're struggling with no matter what that addiction is is stop it while it's small okay because every addiction starts at some point it's got to start somewhere so I will have started by putting a five ten pound bet on at yep. some point. If somebody gets addicted to alcohol, it will start in the pub one night with just one or two drinks, or getting drunk for the first time. Yep. Or if somebody gets hooked on drugs, they will. It'll probably start quite small scale. If you get hooked to to porn or sex, you'll it will all start somewhere. It could be like a flirty text message with somebody. It could be yep. watching something for the first time everything starts at a certain point and if you can be disciplined in your life to stop things or make yourself accountable really early on it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to do it at that point than when something becomes quite big mm-hmm. and it can become destructive it can affect other people it can affect your relationships i'm sure there's people i know people who've lost their houses lost their family due to right. gambling addictions and it all started somewhere though Mm-hmm. So I think my biggest bit of advice for anybody would be stop it while it's small and just talk about it because there will always be people who have gone through the same or are going through the same or have overcome the same. So I think that would be the couple of things that I would just leave with people. If I can just ask you one more question. So you've mentioned it quite a few times and obviously then in referencing, you know, first steps of getting out of it as such is holding yourself accountable and having that conversation and talking to someone. How do you start that conversation? You know, watch your first one or two lines because I can imagine being in this space and like, you know, you've been there. I don't know if you can remember that first conversation, but how do you even get those words out or what are you saying to then, you know, start that accountability journey? It's a really good question. And I think it probably comes down to identifying that person in your life that, and I think we all need these people that, 
but love you unconditionally number one yeah that's really important but number two people who are just going to be real with you and will tell you as it is rather than just appease you as such yeah so I think it's just finding that person in your life and we should all have these people in our life that we can just go out with and it's quite often like not the people that you're closest with it's quite often somebody Mm. that it's very hard to be real and accountable to somebody that you're really close with and then then be able to just give you really honest like feedback and just be really bluntly honest with you about things it's actually probably easier to have a relationship that it is slightly more distant but actually it's healthy in the fact that you can be honest you can be vulnerable and they can be honest with you and challenge you in that space so it quite often won't be the people that you're doing life with because that's probably not healthy either Mm -hmm. um although being able to talk to those people also is important but i'm not sure it's those people who you'll make yourself accountable to so that's good and in terms of how you start the conversation if that relationship's there and it's healthy it will naturally just happen anyway because you'll feel like you can be accountable to that person. And if yeah. and actually, if you're sitting here listening to this and thinking, I'm not sure how I would go about that, it's probably more about finding the right person before it is knowing what to say because you'll never know what to say if it's not the right person that you're speaking to. So I think that it would probably be about really spending some time and considering who's that person in my life who I can just be vulnerable with and just be honest. I'm into that. Yeah, that was good. Good man. Sean, thank you for. I don't know how long it's been, this podcast. It feels um, like it's been five minutes, but I'm sure it's been a lot longer than that. It's definitely longer than five. Um, but the, the, the detail that we've gone into in terms of like numbers, it, it really hits home like where you were. And also how you've come out of it. I mean, it's great to. Obviously, some people. A lot of people will know you who listen to this podcast and see you on a Sunday or know of you, etc. But the people who don't know Sean, like his reference, like, you know, happily, happily married. How long have you been married now? It was October, so October 21st. So it will have been... <laughs> Get that date in there. <laughs> it's four and a half months now. Good approaching man. five months. Good man. You know, Sean's in a really good place now. He's enjoying church. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. He's a homeowner. He's happily married. He's progressing at work. He's in a really, really good place. So... If we think about where Sean was, you know, growing up, 15, 16, heavily involved in football, good footballer, um, world at his feet, so to speak, and then he goes through this process in his life where he's vulnerable and exposed to certain things which um, didn't benefit his life and he's, he's gone in a rut, but then he's pulled himself out of it. But he hasn't done it alone. He has had to reach out, you know, hold himself accountable. So hats off to you, Sean. Thank you for taking the time to... A, record this podcast and be so vulnerable about a subject which I know we've talked about it offline that, you know, doesn't get spoke about a lot, especially in a church setting. So it's great that, you know, we've had uh, your experience that we've been able to talk about it. So, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Um, guys, uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Younger Door Podcast. If you've got any feedback, any comments, please send them to ya at championschurch.org.uk. Sean, thanks again, and we look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Soon? Soon. That's an outtake. Bye-bye.